Frosted Leaf is Denver's most innovative dispensary. What I like about Frosted Leaf would probably be their knowledgeable bud tenders, their online kiosk, their online ordering, and then just pick up at the store. And then they're always getting new genetics as well, so that's always cool. Like Edgar mentioned, Frosted Leaf gives you no lines, no weight, and a self-paced direct shopping experience that allows a fast yet comfortable transaction without the awkwardness of a waiting room. Not only does Frosted Leaf have the hottest strains, but they also offer a rewards program that will help towards your purchases. I would recommend Frosted Leaf to a friend and I would tell them to look forward to different strains and to knowledgeable help. Check out Frosted Leaf's three Denver locations and download their app today. Welcome in to the BSN Nuggets podcast presented by In We Go. Joined by a special guest, Mason Plumlee. I thought he was going to knock that ref out in L.A. <laughs> Coaches will get testy with officials, but to run out onto the court and yeah. cut him off, yeah. I've never seen that before. You should have taken a charge on him. That <laughs> A special guest, Darrell Arthur. When did you first realize Nicole Jokic was good? He was in Philadelphia for Jameer's kind of like team bonding thing, and I knew it right away that he was going to be good. He was making great passes and good reads and stuff like that, and I said, this kid's going to be good. He's turned out to be a star. He has a great upside to him, and I know he'll be a Hall of Famer once he's done playing. And now, here's your hosts, Harrison Wind and Christian Clark. The BSN Nuggets podcast is presented by Total Beverage. Right now, Total Beverage has an exclusive deal for BSN listeners. You guys can get $10 off a $50 purchase or more on the Total Beverage website or app by using the promo code BSN10. So again, if you guys use the promo code BSN10, BSN10, on the Total Beverage website or their app, which you can download from the App Store, from the Google Play Store, whatever phone or device you're operating on, you can get $10 off a $50 order and have it delivered right to your door because, of course, Total Beverage is now delivering liquor, wine, beer, spirits to anywhere in the North Metro area from Wheat Ridge to Erie. What's going on, guys? Friday edition of the show. Wrapping up a great week of podcasts here. Harrison Wynn and Christian Clark recording Friday afternoon, the Nuggets in Golden State. Tonight, they've got another late nationally televised matchup against the Warriors. We got a fun show planned today. This is something I've always wanted to dive into and talk about over really the last couple of years, but I thought this would be a good time to do it because the Nuggets are playing the Warriors tonight and they're not here at home at Pepsi Center, so we don't have as many game day obligations as we would if we were on the road with the team or if they were playing at home. But I've always felt like the Warriors and Nuggets have had a lot of similarities from how they've constructed their roster to both teams' respective paths up the Western Conference standings to some other interesting details about both cities and both organizations here and there. So I thought this would be a good time to discuss those parallels and maybe if the Nuggets are going to be the one team or or maybe if they're the team who has the best chance of overtaking the Warriors someday at the top of the West and when that time could come. We've also got some interesting listener questions that I asked for on Twitter, so we'll get to those in a minute. But before we do that, let's just talk about this game a little tonight, maybe. I don't know. I don't feel the same amount of buzz for this Nuggets-Warriors game, certainly that I did when those two teams matched up in Denver. Maybe that's because this matchup is in Oakland. The last one was right in our backyard. I don't even feel the anticipation that was here in Denver for that Nuggets-Thunder game. 
a week or so ago that Denver, of course, won one of their most impressive wins of the season of the Michael Mullen era, I think. How are you feeling about this matchup tonight? Pretty good. Uh, you know, I, I think the last time around, I, I was a little bit worried that what was going to happen happened, that they were just going to get steamrolled. Uh, the Warriors seem like they're pretty motivated for this game. They don't seem quite as motivated this time around. <laughs> they are healthy, though. I believe Clay Thompson's playing. Everybody should be suiting up. They've had some injury bugs. And yeah, I don't get the sense that they're as motivated either. You definitely felt like at least the vibe I got from shoot around that morning, I can remember from Kevin Durant's comments, from Steph Curry's comments, from Steve Kerr's comments even, just all of those guys really were speaking so highly of Denver and just legitimizing the Nuggets that morning. The Warriors were coming into that game looking to make a statement. And, you know, you talk to a lot of guys on the Nuggets roster about that game. That's the same feeling they got. So it was certainly interesting. And the Warriors definitely made that statement, racking up. How many points did they score in the first quarter that night? 53? Yeah. It was the most points the Warriors have ever scored in the first quarter in franchise history, I believe. Or maybe in a quarter in franchise history. Just an absurd number. They definitely made a statement that night that they're not going anywhere that quickly. They're still here uh, to reign atop the Western Conference standings and probably still here to win another NBA championship, which I think they'll do this season. I do get the sense, though, that the Warriors will come out with a lot of spirit tonight. They're coming off that loss to the Celtics where, man, they were really embarrassed at home. A lot of Warriors media writing that this was maybe the worst loss of the Steve Carrera. So, I mean, because of that, I expect them to... They'll come out with some force in the first quarter tonight. Does this game seem more important than any of these big Nuggets games this season? Maybe that first Warriors game or the Thunder game last week, or does it seem just like another regular season game? It seems like another regular season game to me. I mean, I think it's pretty clear that when the Warriors are playing their best and the Nuggets are playing their best, that the Warriors are just a better basketball team. They're more experienced. They've got more talent. Um, I mean, the Nuggets have done really well this year, but... They need some seasoning, and they need Kevin Durant to go to New York before they're competing <laughs> against the Warriors in a playoff series. I mean, the good news for Denver is that I don't think it's humanly possible for the Warriors to play any better tonight than they right. did a couple of months ago. Uh, I just looked it up. It was 51 points in the first quarter, not 53. That was an NBA record. Warriors made 21 of 39 three-pointers that night. They shot 60% from the field overall. I mean, that was a level of offense that I don't think I've ever seen before. I don't think I have either. I remember saying that night, that was the best 12 minutes of basketball I've ever seen played. And I know the Warriors actually weren't great on defense that night because didn't the Nuggets score something like 37 points or something in that quarter? So it's not like the Warriors were incredible defensively, uh, but just really from an offensive standpoint, overall, I think that was the best 12 minutes of basketball I've ever watched. Final point before we get into this. This is the time in the NBA season... We're in March 8th. We've got less than 20 games to go. This is the time in the NBA calendar where you say, okay, let's just get to the freaking playoffs already, right? Why do we need to play any more regular season games? Why do the Nuggets need to welcome in the Minnesota Timberwolves here to Pepsi Center who aren't making the playoffs? Why do they still have to go through all these pointless regular season games? They've already established themselves as a legitimate top-tier Western Conference team. This is the point in the NBA calendar when I say, what are we even doing at this point? Yeah, I know what you mean. I mean, I, I think something like 75 games, or maybe somewhere between 70 and 75, is probably the correct number of games in a perfect mm -hmm. world. I don't think we're ever going to get that just because of, of revenue and all that. I don't think the owners are ever giving that up. But 82 is kind of a lot of games. 
It's a lot of games, and you start to feel it right around now, the beginning of March when you see that 20-game mark and you ready yourself or begin to ready yourself for the playoffs or at least think about the postseason. But Denver's still got a tough schedule remaining. I was watching the Blazers-Thunder game, and the Nuggets have that home-and-home with the Blazers at the end of the season. That could be very interesting if the Blazers continue on this hot streak, although they did lose last night to Oklahoma City. So the first similarity that I think is pretty apparent with the Nuggets and Warriors just is in terms of how they built their respective teams. The Warriors built this juggernaut really through the draft, and they did so without drafting higher than seventh overall. Steph Curry was the seventh overall pick. Harrison Barnes, who if you remember, it's easy to forget, but Barnes was a pretty integral piece to this team when they first won that championship going back a few years. Clay Thompson, the 11th overall pick. Draymond Green, the 35th overall pick. Their big free agent signing was Andre Iguodala. And I think there's a lot of similarities to how the Nuggets roster was built through the draft. Yeah, no question about it. I mean, both these teams assembled these incredible nucleuses by not picking you know better than seventh overall. Uh, Jamal Murray was the seventh overall pick a couple years back. Uh, he's a Steph Curry type. It's kind of funny that both guys were taking seventh, just a coincidence. But, you know, you, you don't have to be picking in the top five year after year to do really well in the draft. Um, obviously, there's some sharp talent evaluators in both organizations, and Denver's track record of, of hitting on the second round is pretty incredible. Steph Curry's the one, uh, if I can jump in here, that if he was coming up through the college ranks over the last couple of years, he would have been like the top one or two picks, right? It, it was the the bias of, oh, he's too small. He doesn't have a position. Back in 2000, uh, when, when was he drafted? 2009, 2010? Yeah, he was picked in 2009, and you're right. I mean, I think before that point, traditional point guards, guys who set teammates up rather than look for their shot first, were, were just much more valued. People didn't realize how dangerous you know, a lead ball handler with, with range could be. You either had to be a point guard or a shooting guard. There was no in between. If you weren't yeah. one of those, you just couldn't play in the league, yeah. apparently. There weren't hybrids. <laughs> right. But I think you see it with Trey Young this past draft when he was at Oklahoma. I think if Curry was going through the college ranks at Davidson right now, he'd clearly be, you know, a top two pick. Yeah. I mean, when you're, when you create like this tree or whatever of all these, you know, six foot one to six foot three lead ball handlers with crazy ass range, I mean, it starts with Steph Curry. Jamal Murray is one of those guys. Darius Garland, he didn't really play at all for Vanderbilt this year, but like he's kind of in that mold. We're just going to see so many of those guys going forward, I think. I've got to watch Darius Garland. I have no idea what type of player he is. Yeah, I mean, there's not very much college tape. I was just watching like what he did on the the high school circuit and Mm -hmm. all that. But But as you were saying, Jamal Murray drafted seventh overall. Gary Harris drafted 19th. You can kind of compare him to... Clay Thompson, who was drafted 11th, kind of in that range. Uh, Nicole Jokic drafted 41st overall. You can compare him to Draymond Green, another second-round pick. And like I just said, the Warriors signed Andre Iguodala as their free agent right when this group was kind of coming together. And, uh, of course, they really came out of nowhere and started to really chart their path in 2012-2013 when they finished 47-35, and beat the Nuggets in the first round. But... Iguodala was the free agent signing that really helped drive that train. I think there's a lot of comparisons to Millsap, too. A guy who's maybe seen 
know, his best years passing by. Andre Iguodala, when he got to Golden State, he was certainly a different type of player than he was in Philadelphia. He was more of a scorer with the 76ers, but with Golden State, he was more important. He might have been more impactful. And I think there's a comparison to make with Paul Millsap there. He's a different type of player and needed for different reasons. I think mostly defensive reasons in Denver than he was in Atlanta for most of his career. I think there are some really interesting similarities there. Yeah, I like that comparison. Um, I also think, too, that both these teams played styles that had never really been duplicated before, like with, with Curry just launching 35-foot bombs. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they, they incorporated some stuff from the Spurs teams that played the beautiful game. Uh, I think they had some elements of, like, even the triangle, you know, because Steve Kerr is our head coach, but... You know the Nuggets play this sort of unprecedented style too. I mean, I I don't I've never seen a team that that plays the way they do with just their seven foot center kind of going elbow to elbow patrolling the perimeter and and just these series of read and reacts with the pick and roll and, and dribble handoffs. You know, I, I think part of the reason why there was so much skepticism about the Warriors a couple years back, and there's still a lot of skepticism with this Nuggets team is people don't really believe in in something that's never won at the highest levels before. Good point. Um, I mean, people, even Charles Barkley was like, oh, jump shooting teams can't win the championship. <laughs> even though like the 2011 Mavs were mostly jump shooting team. Right. Like the Warriors have put that myth to bed. And, you know, I, I know the Nuggets don't play like anybody else, but that doesn't mean it can't work. That is such a funny, uh, I guess, argument looking back at it. Jump shooting teams can't win championships. Yeah, I guess what it means is like when everything else is like junked up in the playoffs, you right. have to be able to throw it to somebody in the block. Right. Spoiler alert, you don't. <laughs> I mean, it's just so funny looking back at that argument, and that was a real legitimate thing. It was only Barkley who would say that, and you know, Barkley's thrown out a lot of ludicrous arguments over the last couple of years. Uh, he's always been a Nuggets believer, though, and a Jokic believer. But it wasn't only Barkley. It was esteemed basketball analysts who were saying this, that jump-shooting teams could never win a championship. But yeah, the Warriors put that myth to bed. I, I like that comparison there because Jokic and Curry are such unique players. And a Curry 40-footer, you know, it's almost like a Jokic no-look pass or like a Jokic behind-the-head pass or maybe a Jokic full-court outlet pass, one of those one-handers he does. It, it's such a unique play that is a staple of the Nuggets. It helps make the Nuggets who they are. And, and that's kind of the same way as those Curry threes were with the Warriors. I think locally, too, Jokic definitely gets his credit for what a game-changer he is in the offensive end, but I still don't think the national media and people outside of Denver really understand how good Jokic is offensively. Like, Mm -hmm. for example, if you just asked a random national media member, like, who do you think is more impactful offensively, Joel Embiid or Nikola Jokic? And they would have to think about it really hard. And having watched Jokic up close the last couple seasons, I think it's easy. Jokic yeah. is clearly a better offensive player because the offense can flow through him. Mm-hmm. You know, when B gets the ball, he's kind of a ball stopper. The offense gets kind of clunky. I mean, just look at the Nuggets' offensive ratings. They're 17th Jokic's rookie season when he was a sometime starter and, you know, he didn't have that big of a role. And then 16-17, you know, when he, when he became the focal point of his offense, they finished fourth. They finished sixth last season, and they're fourth right now. I mean, if you just rearrange things around Jokic, you're going to have a, a top five offense every single year, I think. Right, and him and Curry are the same type of player in that regard. My argument with Jokic has always been, if you put four guys around him who are in the 50th percentile or higher in basketball IQ, you're probably going to have a top 10 offense. I think the same goes for Curry, man. I think they're the same type of game changers on the offensive end of the floor. Obviously, they do it in different ways, but I get the same sense that you can build 
an elite offense around both those guys if you put the right pieces next to them. Yeah, I was just coming up with a, a short list of guys who I think are definitely more impactful on the offensive end than Nicole Jokic right now. And mm-hmm. I came up with three names definitively. Steph Curry, Kevin Durant, James Harden. You could talk me into Giannis, although you really have to put a lot of shooting around him. Mm-hmm. But I I'd think- say Jokic is probably more valuable than Giannis, as crazy as that sounds. Just more of a, a difference maker, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I, I only see three clear-cut names who are better offensive players. Yeah. Who would you have? Curry, Harden, and who? Uh, Durant? Katie, yeah. yeah. LeBron? I mean, maybe not this season. With the injury and whatnot. They're like 22nd in offensive rating this year. Yeah. Oof. No, it's it, it's a great comparison. At the core of both teams, those guys are the Warriors and the Nuggets' identities, respectively. The Nuggets play Jokic ball. The Warriors, when you think of the Warriors, I don't care what they look like for the next five years, post-KD potentially, but... When you think of the Warriors, you're always going to think of Curry bombing 35-footers. Just like with the Nuggets, you're always going to think of Nicole Jokic and Denver playing the beautiful game. Yeah, absolutely. That's definitely their identities. I mean, the Warriors were lucky enough to have, in my opinion, the best offensive end, best defensive players in basketball there for, for a while. I think Draymond Green is not quite at that like defensive player at your level anymore. I still think he's really impactful. And mm-hmm. Obviously, that's the question about the Nuggets going forward or I mean, they've improved a lot on the defensive end this year, but we, we know that get to the championship and win there, you just have to have that balance too. You touched on this a little, but the playing styles have also shared some similarities. Just a free-flowing offense that you know, has a lot of read-and-react sets. I mean, the Nuggets, they run a lot of traditional stuff. You know, they run horns, they run pistol action. But for the most part, this offense is built on high IQ players, making reads, playing off of one another, playing in the two-man game. And I think that's a lot of what the Warriors relied on really in their rise. They just relied on smart basketball players like Curry and Thompson and Draymond and Iguodala. Like Draymond Green and Iguodala, they probably are in that top 1% of high IQ players maybe ever uh, in league history. I think Jokic can be in that range as well. And so I just think from a play style offensively, because defensively, it's easy to forget, but on the defensive end is really where the Warriors kind of made their mark. They were a stalwart defensively, I think, before they were, you know, the top one or two offense in league. That's what's easy to forget. So Nuggets and Warriors offensively are similar. Defensively, you know, there's kind of some differences there. Yeah, and, you know, one of the key attributes that sticks out to me defensively the Warriors' versatility and their length. Mm-hmm. Like the Nuggets are just a pretty small team. Yeah. Um, they're not, you know, I don't think they're as athletic as those Warriors teams were. I guess, you know, to get to the level that you need to, to defensively to compete for championships, are the Nuggets going to have to get a little bit longer, a little bit more versatile? I mean, it remains to be seen. Definitely. We've got a lot more to get to. A bunch of other similarities that I want to hit on between these two teams, but. First, a word here from GetAround, great sponsor of the BSN Nuggets podcast. If you guys are ever in need of a car, truck, or vehicle for a few hours or a few days, GetAround is at your service. If you're not familiar with GetAround, it's a car sharing app. You can literally unlock cars near you through their app. And better yet, if you have a car that's just sitting around, make some extra money for your next vacation. GetAround's insurance policy and 24-7 customer service has you covered. So go to get.co backslash nuggets to save $15 off your first rental. Or you can visit get.co backslash BSN to sign up for free to rent your car out and start making some money fast. 
There are a lot of other comparisons between the Nuggets and Warriors, that's for sure. But I think it's necessary to remind yourself that what helped the Warriors build this dynasty was signing a bunch of their guys to below market contracts. Steph Curry signed like a four-year, $44 million deal right before the Warriors really took off. And it's the contract that really enabled Golden State to obviously go out and sign Kevin Durant a couple years ago, but also just continue to acquire talent and stay below the salary cap and then go into luxury tax and bring back their own guys and keep adding pieces to their roster. Draymond Green was also signed to a great deal as a second round pick. And I think the one comparison you can look at from a Nuggets perspective is Gary Harris. He's locked in for a while, kind of in a similar fashion to how a Curry or a Draymond was locked in. Maybe not on as below market of a deal as those guys were, but I think Harris's deal is probably good value for Denver. Uh, Certainly a bit lower than I think he could make on the open market. Jokic locked into a max deal. I mean, deserving of that for sure. And so it will be interesting to see, and my reason for bringing this up is Jamal Murray's the next guy up. And I think it's going to be really interesting to see what contract Denver tries to sign him to if they get an extension done with him before the start of next season or if he goes into restricted free agency uh, a summer from now in the summer of 2020. But if Denver's able to get him on a slightly below market deal, a little bit of a hometown discount. I think that can set Denver up to keep adding to their team going forward in in a bit of a similar way to how uh, the Warriors were set up with their below market contracts. Yeah, I think the the Murray extension question is a really, really interesting one. I mean, is is the extension Denver offers Murray going to look like the one that Gary Harris accepted four Mm -hmm. years for 84 million is, or is it going to look something closer to a max deal? I mean, I don't know. I, this is just my gut feeling, but I don't think you know Jamal is getting like a max extension or anything. Um, but yeah, he could get somewhere tough. you know in, in between there what Gary got in the max. If you let a Jamal Murray get to restricted for agency and you're not able to get a deal done with him before the start of the season, that's a bit of a scary proposition for Denver because then you've got the whole season for Jamal Murray to go berserk and then a team comes in and restricted for agency and throws a max offer sheet his way. And then what do you do at that point? So, I, I mean, I'm sure the Nuggets want to get a deal done with him before the start of next season, but that'd be the best case scenario for the Nuggets. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the, the Curry extension, that's a funny one to look back on because, you know, luck is required in, in all the, with all these great teams. I mean, Curry got such a below market deal because there were questions whether he could play like 70 games in a season. Right. He had the ankle injuries at the time. Nobody really knew if he was going to hold up physically. It's it's interesting to look back on. Yeah. I mean, that, that extension was so team friendly because there are real questions about his health. And, you know, I think there is something to like a lot of a couple of Warriors players have taken, you know, slightly below market deals just because they're in a good market. They're they're happy, you know, playing the style they're playing and they're winning. And, you know, I think you could see something similar happen in Denver if they keep going at the rate they're going. I mean, shoot, man, I would take four or five million less maybe uh, a year if if I was Jamal Murray, if I got to continue to play with Nikola Jokic, um, live in in Denver, city with 300 days of sunshine. It's not a bad situation. Yeah, I guess that brings me to my next point. And the final similarity I see between the Nuggets and the Warriors 
how you know they were built and kind of both of those teams' respective paths up the Western Conference. Denver is a city that's growing at a really fast rate. The median house price in Denver has skyrocketed over the last couple of years. And I see kind of some parallels to how the Nuggets are growing and the city of Denver is growing. There's kind of a mini tech boom that's been going on in Denver over the last couple of years as the Nuggets have been booming themselves. And if you think back to when the Warriors really shot up the charts, 2012, 2013, 2013, 14, from what I remember, and this might be a little bit of a reach, but that's the couple year period where San Francisco really became like, you know, the city on the West Coast other than L.A. when you started hearing about, oh, it costs more to live in San Francisco than it does to live in New York or L.A. That stretch over those couple of years, I just remember San Francisco just skyrocketing to a higher level of relevance than that city had held really before 2010, 2011 or so. Yeah, and you always read these stories now about the state of San Francisco and, you know, the people who make that city go, people who work in the service industry, the teachers, the firefighters, they can't even afford to live there anymore. And right. I feel like Denver, we're nearing that point. We're nearing that point. We might already be there. We're already there, I think, to a certain extent. Uh, I mean, I speak with friends and colleagues all the time who are trying to buy a house in Denver. It's impossible to get something for... 400,000 or so in that range, that's within the city limits. You've got to go to the suburbs if you really want to get some bang for your buck. And even then, you're probably not getting that great a value on a home. So I think we might already be there in Denver. Um, if, if not, we'll be there over the next couple of years. But both cities growing, both cities gaining more national exposure with their respective teams. I think that's a, a legitimate parallel. But how I want to wrap this discussion up here, and if you guys have thoughts on that comparison... If you guys can think of some more parallels with these teams, hit us up on Twitter or on the Total Beverage Fan Hotline, 1-800-BSN-8394, 1-800-BSN-8394. A good way to end this might be, I felt like the Nuggets have always been this sleeping giant, partly because of how they built their team through the draft, and you know, partly because the city of Denver has been on the rise for the last three, four, five years uh, for some of the reasons I, I just spoke about. And, and I've just felt like they could always be that team for some of the reasons, like because they were built in the Warriors' image, that could eventually take Golden State's spot at the top of the Western Conference. If you look at the Western Conference standings right now, and you had to forecast ahead a couple years, and Golden State, they could surely still be at the top of the West post-Kevin Durant. Uh, they have the core there in place to have that staying power. They could bring in free agents of their own. Who knows? Uh, but if you had to look at one team in the West that could take that mantle from Golden State, is it anybody else other than Denver that really comes to mind? Well, yeah, I mean, that's a really interesting question, but OKC, I mean, I know their players are, are older than Denver's, but their, their three best players are still, you know, in their prime years. And, and Russell Westbrook, Paul George, and Steven Adams are both under contract for the next three seasons. Even if those guys are taking up, like, so much of the cap, I still think they're going to be just a beast to deal with. Um, so they're going to be tough for the next three seasons. Utah has Gobert, Ingles, and Donovan Mitchell locked up for the next three seasons. So those two teams come to mind. But, you know, I mean, obviously Denver is much younger than an Oklahoma City, and they're even younger than a Utah. But, yeah, man, I mean, they have as good a shot as anybody of all those teams behind Golden State to, uh, to kind of be the next team. Yeah, the other team Denver draws some comparisons to, 
is the Thunder with Durant, with Harden, with Westbrook. And, you know, that team really merged onto the scene when they made that run to the Western Conference Finals when all those guys were so young. Maybe that's what we're seeing with the Nuggets this year. And, of course, that team wasn't able to be kept together. But, I mean, Denver's the clear pick in my mind, just in terms of the core they have in place, the coach they have in place, the management they have in place, and the ownership, I think, has really fostered a winning culture here in Denver, too. And we know it starts from the top down. And I think Denver's got the right pieces in place from the top down right now, you know, above Michael Malone. And Denver also has the ability to draw free agents in a way that I don't think a Utah does. That's my one thing with Utah. They have a nice core in place with Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert. I'm not sure how they're going to add that third star to it. I'm not sure how they're going to add that third piece because they're not going to be in the lottery, obviously. And it's tough imagining a marquee free agent going there where I could see a top-tier free agent picking Denver. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see if, if Denver becomes a market where you know veterans who are still productive are willing to sign here on kind of below-market deals. I mean, the Warriors have obviously had that happen the past couple of years. David West is one guy that comes to mind who's just took a way below-market deal because he wanted to win a ring, and he was great for them. It'll be interesting to see if Denver can become that place. I know when Chris Haynes, around the All-Star break, just tweeted out like a, a couple different teams that were on free agents' radar and that it had impressed um, soon-to-be free agents. And, you know, I think there are seven or eight teams, but I know Denver is on that list. Mm-hmm. I think Denver is going to be an attractive place for free agents over the next couple of years because the city, the lifestyle here, but also because of Nikola Jokic and the young pieces in place here. A lot of players around the league are fond of Nikola Jokic, and, I mean, who wouldn't want to play with him? When you look at this roster and see guys like Torrey Craig and Malik Beasley and Monte Morris putting up career numbers, and I think those guys are all great players. I'm not sure if they would be putting up the same numbers if they weren't playing alongside Nikola Jokic for a lot of minutes. And I mean, even Monte, he's not playing a ton of minutes uh, alongside Nikola Jokic, but he's always been the Peyton Manning, in my opinion, that can just take guys who, who are really good players and just elevate them to another level. I feel like that'd be so attractive for, for agents out there. Oh, no question about it. A guy who's going to make your numbers look better and yeah. who just does not care one iota about the spotlight. Right. You can have the whole spotlight, Kevin Durant. Be the guy on billboards. Be the guy on TV. Be the guy doing every interview. Be the face of this team. And we'll have just Nicole Jokic in the background. All right, we got to hit another break real quick. We've got some questions that we wanted to get to on today's show. We'll wrap up with those on the other side. We'll be right back on the BSN Nuggets podcast. Piper Electric has been a part of the Denver community for over 35 years. Their reputation of being fairly priced, trustworthy, and dependable has allowed them to become one of the best Denver electrical contractor companies in the market. We believe Piper is the best because of their professionalism, because of their capability, because of their integrity, and because of the relationship we have built over the last year and a half with several of their key managers. That was Jim. He's been a customer of Piper Electric for over a year now and loves it so much that he recommends his own clients to them. Sometimes customers will ask us if we know of somebody who can be their regular electrician where they could call for anything from a small job to something much larger, maybe a remodel. And so we certainly have preferred people to Piper and Piper to them. From residential, commercial, and industrial, Piper Electric can handle all of your electrical needs. 
they've done actually everything from preparing a small wiring situation with a circuit breaker panel to adding additional circuits, adding parking lighting. So really, they have become a one-stop shop for all of our needs. If you call today and use the promo code BSN, you will get $25 off your next service call. That's 303-646-6765 or go to piperelectric.com. Welcome back to the BSN Nuggets podcast. We are presented by Total Beverage. Friday edition of the show, Harris the Wind and Christian Clark here. Let's get to some questions. Here's a good one to start off with. The five most important players in the playoffs. That question comes to us from Twitter via D-Nuggets fan. I mean, is it anybody else other than the starters? Are those the five most important players for the Nuggets in the playoffs? And I guess, how would you just rank those guys in terms of importance? Yeah, it's the starters, and I think Monte Morris is probably sixth. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know. Could you make a case for Monte Morris over one of the starters? You know, you could make that case in the regular season, I think. But with how many minutes the starters are going to get compared to the bench in the playoffs, it's probably got to be the starters. That's the thing. Uh, With the playoffs, your rotation gets trimmed a little. You play your starters more minutes naturally, and you usually play your bench less minutes. So I think it'd be the starters. I think it'd be those five guys. Yeah, you're you're probably right on that. I mean, ranking them, um, I don't know. I mean, Jokic, Millsap, probably one and two. Um, I might go Gary Harris, too, in in a playoff setting. Maybe Millsap, three. Jamal Murray could be three as well. And... uh, yeah, Will Barton maybe four or five. Yeah, I mean, I'm really curious to see what that that group can do collectively. I, I think there is, you know, some some thought that oh, the Nuggets play like this team style of basketball, and they don't have enough guys that can break you down one on one, and their offense might not work in the playoffs. And I don't really buy that at all. Where are you on that? I think their offense, for the most part, is going to pop in the playoffs. It might not execute at the same level it does in the regular season, but Nuggets are so potent in the half court. Jokic is one of the best half court players on the offensive end of the ball in the league. I think it's going to translate, and Denver's just so dangerous on that end of the floor. If you you try to double Jokic and take him out of the game, other guys are going to get going. If you're a coach scheming against the Nuggets, I would probably let Jokic get his, I think. That's how I'd approach it. I'd just play him one-on-one, try to get him into foul trouble, try to frustrate him, and try to just play respectable defense on Denver's other pieces. I don't think doubling Jokic and, you know, leaving Denver shooters wide open would be a good defensive strategy. Yeah, that's a really interesting question. And we saw San Antonio have success that one game earlier season by doubling Jokic. I tend to agree with you. Um, I would tell my guys, like, the most important thing we can do defensively is cut off their passing lanes. Like, I do not want to see any backdoor cuts lead to layups in this game. I don't care if Jokic beats his guy one-on-one, but you cannot let the Nuggets get going with, with their passing because I think that's when they really get rolling is when the ball is, is popping, so to speak. That's like that's when they're just at their most dangerous. And if you remember that San Antonio game, Denver was trying to get Torrey Craig and Jamal Murray, who had been really inconsistent from the outside at the time and still is to a certain respect. And, Trey Lyles to hit open threes. It wasn't like they were leaving Gary Harris and Will Barton, who were injured at the time, wide open from beyond the arc. So I think I'd go Jokic, Harris, Murray, Millsap, and then Barton. But really, two through five are really close. You could have an argument for any of those guys in any order, I think. Is there one guy on this team, though, 
that you think would be more valuable or could have a higher role, a higher usage in the playoffs than he has had in the regular season? Uh, Paul Millsap. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's a guy who takes the fewest shots out of, of anybody in that starting lineup. He's got the lowest usage. And Paul Millsap is a guy who has had a lot of success in the playoffs. Michael Malone, whenever they signed him, was like, you know, one of the things he kept saying was, don't tell me Paul Millsap is declining because I just watched what he did in the playoffs. I mean, Paul Millsap was really good the playoff series in Atlanta right before he came over here. So, yeah, that's the one guy I would look to. I agree. I think it's Millsap. I think he could have a higher usage rate in the playoffs. And Denver, I don't know how efficient it would be, but I wouldn't be surprised if they just run some offense for Paul Millsap on the block. And, you know, we're watching the first quarter of a, a playoff matchup and, we see Denver feeding Paul Millsap because he's got a mismatch and somehow he's getting to the line and hitting ridiculous step back 15 footers like Paul Millsap does. Here's a good one that came in from Big Red 34. Why do you think Jamal Murray hasn't played as much next to Isaiah Thomas when compared to Monte Morris? It seems like Murray would be a better off ball fit than Morris. And that would also allow Morris to run point when he's in without the other two. Real quick, some numbers on those two combinations. Monte Morris and Isaiah Thomas have played 113 minutes together. The Nuggets are scoring only 94.9 points per 100 possessions on offense when those two are on the floor. That's a very below average mark for Denver. Denver's only giving up, though, 100.4 points per 100 possessions on the defensive end of the floor. That is a really good mark defensively. They've got a negative 5.5 net rating when Morris and Thomas are on the floor together. Jamal Murray and Isaiah Thomas have only played 10 minutes together and a very poor offensive rating, a decent defensive rating, a bad net rating, but only in 10 minutes. You can't really look at anything from those stats. Why don't you think Jamal Murray has played a lot next to Isaiah Thomas, and do you think we could see some of that going forward? Yeah, that's an interesting question. I mean, I think that the the Isaiah Thomas-Jabal Murray pairing wouldn't be quite as bad as the Isaiah Thomas-Monte Morris pairing has been, but I also don't think it would it would be good or, or even average. Um, I mean, I just think IT, you know, it could work if, if he, he was even close to, to full health like he was two years ago, but he just doesn't have that explosion or, or that burst right now. And, you know, I think it almost doesn't matter who he, he's playing next to right now. I mean, maybe... Maybe it would be a little bit better with Murray, but I, I still just I don't really see him having success with him even e- either. Even though I think it'd be a little bit better than him next to Morris. Yeah, I think there's some potential to experiment there. I just don't think we've seen it because, I mean, ideally in a perfect world, if Isaiah Thomas was really going to pop with this team, it would probably be with the bench lineup because that starting unit is just so solid together. And I don't think the Nuggets really want to break that up. I think they want to give those five a lot of time to work on the court together. But yeah, you know, maybe it wouldn't be the worst thing to experiment. From talking with people around the team, the one thing I've gotten, or the sense I've gotten is that you know, Denver's going to be willing to try some things with Isaiah Thomas, try to you know, put him in position to succeed. So I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, maybe we see some other lineup combinations get experimented with if they can't get the Isaiah Thomas, Monte Morris backcourt combination to work over the next couple of games. All right. Last question we got here as we wrap up coming from big Heb seven on Twitter asking about Trey Lyles' impact down the stretch. Do you think we hear from Trey Lyles again, or is this 
like I called it a couple of weeks ago in Emmanuel Moutier's situation. You know, as, as underwhelming as Trey Lyles has been this year, I'm not sure if we've seen the last of him in the rotation because the other options at, at backup power forward just haven't been great. You know, I mean, Wancho hasn't made a three in like three years. Um, Torrey Craig, I mean, I think it's okay throwing him out there. It's not a, ideal. He's a little bit undersized. He's, you know, struggles with the three-point shot sometimes. I mean, he's not that much better of a three-point shooter than, than Trey Lyles. So, yeah, I mean, I'm not convinced that we've seen the last of Trey Lyles in the rotation. I'm with you. I think we will see Trey Lyles before the playoffs and maybe a couple minutes here and there in the playoffs, as crazy as it seems because Trey Lyles has not had a good year. The bench unit maybe could use his size, maybe could use his offensive firepower, although that's a weird way to characterize Trey Lyles and what he brings to the table based on what he's done this year. But look, maybe some time away from the court is good for him. And he's not playing in this game against Golden State, but I think he could potentially return next week. So I did call his situation an Emmanuel Moutier situation. And the comparison there is, in Moutier's final year in Denver, he started the year as backup point guard. He was not a productive player in that role. He got injured. And when he was healthy again, he never got back into the Nuggets rotation. So I think it was a fair point to ask and talk about if... You know, we'd ever see Trey Lyles get back into this rotation after his current hamstring injury, but I don't think we've heard the last from Trey Lyles. Paul Millsap has also been playing a ton of minutes lately. He, uh, he played 40 minutes against the Lakers. Um, he played 36 against New Orleans and 30 against San Antonio. I mean, you probably don't want Millsap going over like 32 or, or 33 minutes, at least before the playoffs, when you got to ramp him back up. I agree. So that'd be interesting to watch if... Trey Lyles can get a couple minutes here and there over the next couple of weeks. I think there's a case out there to make that Denver's bench unit could use him. Got anything else before we get out of here? Uh, what's your prediction for tonight? I am going to predict a loss closer than the last Nuggets Warriors matchup, but I think this is a Warriors win. Season series one to one. So is this the rubber match? It would be. Okay. Um, I'll take the Nuggets to eke one out tonight. All right, I like it. We'll see what happens tonight, Friday night, Nuggets-Warriors nationally televised game. We'll see if Denver can finish up the road trip on a high note if they were to get this win, which would move them to number one in the Western Conference. You know, after all this, after a three-game losing streak, after questions and questions and questions about this bench unit, the Nuggets could be number one in the West at the end of this week when all is said and done. We'll see what happens tonight. Thanks for listening, guys. Thanks for listening to all our podcasts this week. We'll be back with a new episode on Monday. Talk to you then. Dr. Rick and his team at Belmar Chiropractic focus on getting to the root cause of your problem instead of chasing symptoms. The results have been like above and beyond anything I could have ever expected. My pain is completely gone, full of energy, even throughout my entire pregnancy. He was able to adjust me and it sounds crazy to say, but like no back pain throughout my whole pregnancy. That was just really amazing. It's better than anything I could have expected for sure. That was Caitlin. Like her, many people who had looked everywhere and tried everything 
finally found relief and healing at Belmar Chiropractic. It makes you feel really comfortable because he always tells you what he's doing before he actually does it. So I always felt really, really comfortable and they're all so warm and welcoming as well, which is always great. Dr. Rick can help decrease anxiety and depression, reduce stress, improve mental focus and clarity, provide better quality of sleep, boost your immune system, and so much more. He's definitely the most knowledgeable chiropractor I've ever been to, and I've actually have recommended him to many, many of my friends and coworkers. Give Belmar Chiropractic a call today at 303-233-1236.